This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 156 with Sharon Lipinski. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 156. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. As the CEO of BLH Consulting, Sharon Lipinski helps people transform desired behaviors into common practice. She is the author of 365 Ways to Live Generously, Simple Habits for a Life That's Good for You and for Others, which helps people make seven generosity habits a reality in their daily life. She is a certified corporate wellness specialist, a speaker, TV personality, and a coach dedicated to helping people create the right habits so they can be happier, healthier, and more productive at home and in their work. Sharon is also the founder of the nonprofit Change Gangs, virtual giving circles, which help people make small donations that make big impact by pooling their small donations with the donations of other people who care about the same causes. To date, they've donated more than $58,000 to great charities around the world. She also maintains the largest repository of information documenting the tools, strategies, and accomplishments of some of America's 800 charitable giving circles. This conversation was so great. I completely geeked out on Sharon and all of her habit conversation. So I know you are all going to really be interested in what she has to say about building habits and maintaining habits and the motivation that comes with them and the struggle that can come with them and how much something has to be practiced. So this was interesting. It was a fascinating conversation. So I'm so grateful to Sharon for being here. I know this is going to be really insightful for you and really helpful to you. So definitely listen in and take some notes. Sharon offered a ton of practical tips that I know will be helpful to you as you move forward, especially this time of year, getting ready to really assert some new habits and put them into practice as you shift gears back into the school year back into September. This is a transitional time for people. So it's a great time for this conversation. Listen in to hear Sharon share the three reasons willpower fails you, why habits are more powerful than willpower and how they actually bypass willpower, why the scarcity mindset keeps us stuck in the same bad situations, how to use the minimum requirement strategy when starting a new habit, how to reward yourself and how to not reward yourself for success with habits and goals. This was kind of a shocker for me and the power of generosity and how to build habits around generosity. So like I said, I love this conversation. I learned a ton from Sharon. 
totally nerded out on the whole concept and then immediately took some of her information back to groups that I'm running. I've been talking about it with gym members. I've been talking about it in the Shameless Mom Mastermind groups with all my coaching clients. I've been talking about this stuff already and putting it to use. So I know that I have a lot of people who've been like dying for this episode to come out because I keep referencing like, just wait, you have to listen in a few weeks because this is going to be so pertinent. So let's go ahead and dive in with Sharon because I know there's a lot here that you are going to learn and love and I can't wait to get started. So let's dive in with Sharon Lipinski. Sharon Lipinski, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks. So I'm excited to talk to you because we talk so much about habits on the Shameless Mom Academy. And when I went to your website, I was like, this is all right up my alley. So I want to dive in and learn a little bit more about you beyond your bio. What's going on with you personally, professionally, and what are you just most excited about in life right now? Well, what I'm most excited about right now is being back in Colorado. This is where I grew up and my husband was in the army. So we moved around and when he was done with his contract, the question was, well, where do you want to live? And for me, there's no place like home. So I'm just soaking it up. I I love the state of Colorado. I'm from Seattle and I've left Seattle for college and then came back and I can't imagine living anywhere else. (laughs) Yeah, right. So there's just no place like home. (laughs) Totally, totally. I can very much relate to that. When did you get back to Colorado? Well, technically a year ago, but we've been doing so much traveling that it's only in the last couple months that I feel settled. And you're back for like summer and nice weather and all that. I love the dry heat in Colorado. Nice, nice. So let's dive in and get into some of this content because there's so many things I want to cover today. And I know you have, even in our little pre-interview, I could tell like, oh, we're going to have to dive deep. So let's go ahead and talk about willpower. And I know women really beat themselves up thinking that we tend to think we're weak or we don't have enough willpower. And this comes to anything from like hitting the snooze button in the morning to how we eat to all sorts of conversations that we have with ourselves. So tell us the truth about willpower and why do habits trump willpower? Yeah. So I mean, there's just this myth that we have in our culture that says you just got to buckle down. You got to stick it out. You got to be more tough. And we just think, gosh, if I only had more willpower, then I could. Right. Right, right. Whatever it is. But unfortunately, that isn't true. And it really arises out of a misunderstanding of what willpower is. So willpower is a form of mental energy. And we use that mental energy to control our thoughts, our feelings, our impulses, our actions, our performance. But our willpower isn't always there for you when you need it. And we've all had this experience, right? Some days, somebody can bring a box of donuts into the office and we can sail right past it because that morning we woke up and we said, I'm eating healthy today. No problem. But sometimes you walk past it and you slow down a little bit and then you walk past it again. You kind of stick your head in the door. (laughs) You're like checking to see if the good ones are still there, (laughs) if they've already been taken. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then I'm just going to have a corner. I'm I'm just going to cut this one in half. I'm just going to have a little bite, right? So sometimes our willpower is there for us when we need it and sometimes it's not. So why is that? Well, there are three reasons why your willpower can fail you. And the first is you've run out of willpower. So think about willpower like the tank of gasoline in your car, right? If you're driving around, eventually you're going to run out of gas. And when you run out of gas, that's it. You can't go anywhere anymore, right? Well, willpower is the same way. You get one tank of willpower for everything. So every time you force yourself to answer that email that's been hanging out in the bottom of your inbox, every time you force yourself to be polite when you just kind of wanted to speak your mind, every tiny action and decision that you are making all day long is draining that tank of willpower. And of course, in our busy modern lives, we're making hundreds, thousands of decisions all day long. So sometimes your willpower isn't there for you because you've just plain used it up and that tank has to be refilled. That totally makes sense. I own a gym as well. And I talk to my gym members about the decision fatigue that comes throughout the day and how exhausting it is by the end of the day that it makes sense that you wouldn't have the mental energy to make positive choices around food by the time you get home from work if it's been a tough day because you've made a million other decisions that have been so critical all day long. Yeah, it's exhausting. And then the second reason, which is closely related, is physical stress can drain our willpower. Now, willpower is a form of mental energy, but it is fueled by our body. It runs on glucose and sleep. So if you're tired and hungry, 
how much harder is it to stick to those healthy eating goals at the end of the day, right? Right. You're craving macaroni and cheese and brownies because your body is craving to be refueled. And if you're hangry, you know, it's so much harder to control that impulse and not snap at somebody. So, you know, if you are tired and hungry, you might not have your willpower there. Right. And you can imagine why this makes dieting so hard because dieting is reducing that physical energy at the same time in which you need that physical energy to stick totally. to your diet. Totally. Right? And now the third reason is that emotional stress can drain your willpower. So if you are worried about something and these thoughts are going around and around in your head, right? What am I going to do if my boss, my mother-in-law, my spouse does this thing? How am I going to pay all my bills? What if I go to this networking event and there's food there I know I shouldn't eat? Every time you pick that thought up and you put it back down, you're using up willpower and it's making it harder for you to resist temptation the next time. Right. So real life experience of willpower failure Walking through the grocery store, what is the last thing you have to walk past before you can leave the store? What is the last thing? The candy bars. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's true. And I was thinking at Trader Joe's and I'm like, what do they always have? They always do have like chocolate stuff up by the cash registers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's no problem. You don't even right. think about it. But sometimes you've walked in that store tired and hungry. Yeah, you've yeah. made so many decisions while you're in the store that you're exhausted. You've had to deal with a screaming child. <laughs> and that was exhausting. Right. And I have even been known to eat the candy bar standing in line and hand over the empty wrapper to be scanned. <laughs> right. And they know this about our willpower. It is why they put these things there in the first place. Right. right. The sweet right. and the salty, because that's where like the chips are too, the little like mini chip bags, which are kind of like yep. they're huge mini chip bags. <laughs> it's all about the impulse because right. our willpower is not there to control it. Right. But the nice thing about habit is that habits bypass our willpower tank. Okay. We don't have to decide. These things are happening automatically unconsciously, right? You are not deciding if you're going to brush your teeth in the morning. You're not talking yourself out of your morning cup of coffee. Those things happen automatically and unconsciously, and you can get there with any desired behavior that you want in your life too. Right. That makes sense that you override like the mechanism in your brain if you're so trained to do something over and over. Yeah, it's actually a physiological phenomenon. So a habit is a routine or behavior that's repeated regularly and tends to occur unconsciously. But physiologically, let's talk about what's happening in the brain when this happens. So when you do something new for the first time, there's a neural pathway that lights up in your brain and it starts in the prefrontal cortex. Now, the prefrontal cortex is the most recently developed part of our brain. It's incredibly powerful, but it's also intense in terms of energy, attention. So this is where a new action starts, and your brain has to really pay attention. It hasn't done this before. And it's going to communicate through the brain into the striatum. Now, the striatum in your brain is located and I didn't mention, but the PFC is the front part of your brain, kind of what sits above your eyeballs. Okay. And the striatum sits in the center middle part of your brain on top of the brain stem. So it's very interior. And the striatum is the habit center of our brain, but it also controls rewards. So this is where the dopamine is being produced. And it also controls goal setting behavior. And so there's a neural pathway that lights up in your brain between the PFC and the striatum. And again, your brain is working really hard during this time. All the neurons along that pathway are firing. But the next time you do the action, well, you're a little more familiar with it, right? right. Brain's not going to work quite as hard. We're going to have a few less neurons fire. And you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and fewer and fewer neurons fire. Now, when something is a habit, only the neurons at the beginning of the action and the end of the action fire. And then everything else, you're on autopilot. There aren't neurons firing along that pathway. And the PFC is not engaging. The prefrontal cortex is out. We don't need it anymore. It starts and ends in the striatum. So interesting. 
Yeah. So when we say habits bypass your willpower account, it's literally just happening automatically and unconsciously. And this is why habits are so powerful. Duke University's researchers estimated that you spend 40% of your day engaged in habit, which I think is huge. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) nearly half of your waking hours, you're not paying attention to what you're doing while you're doing it, right? That's huge. Yeah. And so we're talking about habits of behavior from little things like brushing your teeth in the morning to big things like what you eat on a regular basis. But we also have habits of thought and emotion. So feeling confident, thinking positively, these are habits. And then there are habits of relationships because by and large, you interact with people in pretty much the same way from what you do together, what you talk about together, right? We are creatures of habit. That makes so much sense. And that's like a shocking number, that 40%. But I'm sitting here, I'm totally thinking about like my day to day life. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, actually, I guess that does sound about right. Right. But I also think about like sometimes how travel can feel exhausting or like even vacation sometimes or the weekends can feel exhausting because you're not in the same routine with the same habits. So you're actually maybe making more decisions and actually having to like you're not able to just settle into your normal 40 percent autopilot. Yes, that's absolutely right. Absolutely. And it's exhausting for us. Mm -hmm. The brain likes habits. Now, if you want to say your brain is lazy, that's fine. But (laughs) I kind of like to put a positive spin on it. And I like to say our brains are efficient. You know, we don't want to fire up that prefrontal cortex if we don't have to, because that's a lot of work mentally, physically. It takes a lot of energy to get that thing running. So, you know, we're going to fall back on our habits. So that's why they're so powerful. Let's not leave those habits to chance. Let's design them so that they really serve our best life. I'm just thinking like someone like me, kind of type A, kind of controlling, likes predictability. (laughs) I might have more habits than someone else because I like things to be a certain way and be similar from day to day. So is that like that 40%, is there variability based on personality type in terms of like how much a person builds habits into their life and then has less struggle with willpower because they have kind of the habit situation putting them at an advantage? I don't know that we would have a scientific study to back that up. Right. I mean, I think we can make some inferences. So yeah. we know that scarcity is bad for the brain. So people who don't have enough money, they continue to make decisions that put themselves where money is still a problem because they don't have the energy to make those decisions. And same with people who don't have enough time, right? So whenever our brain is operating out of scarcity, we tend to make bad decisions. And my theory is, is that the most successful people, the happiest people, the healthiest people, they aren't actually born different than anybody else, but they've got the right habits. The right things are happening automatically and on autopilot. You know, so let's choose those habits that are going to serve us. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it makes sense that I think of like many of my clients, people either in my gym clientele or here in the Shameless Mom Academy, when we get habits in place, oftentimes their goals become so much easier because I think they've taken a lot of the day-to-day decision-making out and they've put like routines and systems in place where there is a lot more autopilot. And so then it's like, oh, if I walk into work and there's donuts when I didn't expect them there, like it becomes so much easier to just walk by them Mm -hmm. rather than engaging in a conscious decision around that. Absolutely. Absolutely. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and 
in special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever, and your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you, and you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Why do you call yourself a habit superhero? And tell us a little bit more about that title. Well, because I am so passionate about creating habits and it started in my own life. So I think probably like a lot of people, I was in a job that I hated and I was working 60 hours or more a week and I started waking up in the middle of the night with panic attacks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I lived like that for a year until I heard myself say to a colleague, you know, if I have to do this for the rest of my life, I would rather kill myself. So fortunately, I heard that. I was like, whoa, I have a problem. And so I quit my job and I spent the next year, you know, quote unquote, discovering myself because all I did was work. I didn't know what I was interested in. I didn't know what I liked to do. And so I read and I traveled. I went on meditation retreats and spiritual retreats. And I still had no idea. Like, how am I going to be happy? Like, I don't know the answer to this question. So I got this idea that spending a month alone, looking out over a stormy ocean was going to be like just a ticket, like in this sense of solitude and natural beauty, this is where I was going to figure stuff out. So I rented a house on the coast of Oregon for the entire month of November. And while I was there, my dogs and I would walk down the hill and at the bottom of the hill, there was a convenience store and there was an older man who was living there as a caretaker. But the store was closed because it was in November and there weren't enough tourists around to keep it open. We would chat for a few minutes and then I would continue on my way. And over the course of a a couple of weeks, I got to know a little bit about him. I learned that he was a recovering drug addict whose family no longer spoke to him. Wow. And I learned that, you know what, he spent most of his nights alone watching TV. And I knew, I knew that he was going to be alone for Thanksgiving. So nervously and hesitatingly, I invited him to spend Thanksgiving dinner with me at a Chinese restaurant because I was also going to be alone. And honestly, I hoped he'd say no. (laughs) Yeah, I can see where you're like, (laughs) I want to do a nice thing, but maybe it won't work out. I know. It made me a little nervous. You know, I wanted to feel good for asking, but oh, (laughs) I don't really want to do this. But he says yes. So now I'm committed. And I pick him up and we drive into town and we shared plates of sesame chicken and beef with broccoli while he talked about his kids. And I as I sat across the table from him, I didn't see a stranger. I saw a man who regretted his past and a father who was proud of his kids. And I saw a human being who never had a chance to talk to somebody who cared about him and what was important to him. And like, that was the moment that I really got it. Like it is the small everyday acts of giving that make life worth living. And then I had to be honest with myself and say, okay, well, why aren't you doing these things? Now I was a good person. I was kind, I was honest, I was hardworking, but I was not giving as much as I was capable of and not as much as I wanted to. And I was determined to fix that. So how was I going to make giving doable and something that's part of my daily life? And I went 
ahead and started a nonprofit called Virtual Giving Circles. So what this is, is when you're a member, you give $25 a month to a cause that you care about. So if that's helping pets, if it's ending poverty, if it's helping our veterans, and that money goes into that group, and then we donate together as a group. So we can donate $1,000 to a pet charity together instead of $25 alone. Oh, wow. So cool. It is really cool. It's a my labor of love. And so I was running this nonprofit, making that happen. And I read a book by Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habit. And as I read that, I'm like, well, look at this. I made philanthropy be a habit. Ah. And, yeah, right. $25 a month. It's happening. I don't have to think about it. It's coming out of my account automatically. And that applies to every other area of my life too. So I went and created healthy eating habits, exercise habits, because I never exercised. And I just took everything that I was reading about and I applied it to my own life. And so it's my passion to get out there and share it with other people. So that's why I call myself the habit superhero. That is so cool. And that's so interesting. I also think that it's really interesting when you go try, I love that you were like on this journey trying to figure out all these things and you were and then doing it so independently for that month on the Oregon coast. And then you end up finding the thing that you need in like connection with someone else. I know, right? So <laughs> ironic. It's funny because I've had multiple times in my life where I'm like, I just want to like go get away by myself, which sounds very scary. But I also think like, then I'll actually find myself. And I think that a lot of times the way we find ourselves is in the way we connect with other people and the random connections. I mean, your story is such a perfect example that you have this connection that just changes everything in your life and your perspective moving forward. Mm -hmm. What a great story. Did you stay in touch with that man? And does he have any idea like the impact that he had on you? I did not. And at the time, I didn't really realize the impact that he had on me. Let's say I left Oregon just a few days later because I only rented the house for the month of Oregon. And I just kept coming back to this as kind of like a touchstone experience. And I like, there's a lesson here. Yeah. What is it? What is it? So it took me a little time. And actually, I heard a, a news story on NPR maybe about giving circles. And I thought, oh, I can do that. And so you know, it was kind of a journey. Yeah, yeah. I always say that your aha moments are never aha moments when they happen. <laughs> so right. it's often like five years later, you're like, oh, that's where at the moment where everything changed. But I had no idea it was that moment when I was living it. <laughs> so yes. I think that's so interesting, because there's often times where you can go back and you can pinpoint like this is where something started to shift. And I always love it when there's a good story. with it. So. <laughs> So I know you say if you can create a bad habit, you can create a good habit. So you have a five-step process for creating new, better habits. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. And isn't that reassuring to know? Yes. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so obvious. Why have I never thought of that? Yeah. I mean, neurologically, it's the same exact process. And once you understand the anatomy of a habit, how it's made, we can kind of tap into that. We can hack it and we can do it intentionally. So the first step is to understand why. Why are you doing this? Because it's going to be a little bit of work and we want to make sure that it's worth it, that it's going to make a difference in our life. And what we know is that people don't change because they quote unquote have to, or somebody tells them to do it. Right. And if you own a gym, you probably see this all the time. We know that people have to lose weight. They have to exercise, but that doesn't necessarily translate into action, right? Right. So when I start thinking about why, I always start with asking people, what are your values in life, right? So values would be things such as freedom, health, family, kindness, honesty, faith, spontaneity, whatever it is that you're valuing in your life, just identify the three most important values. And then we're going to partner that with the three most important roles you play in your life. So if you are a parent, a spouse, a daughter, a friend, it may be your work is one of your most important roles. And I know that's true for me. Yeah. So getting very clear on your three most important values and your three most important roles that you fulfill and then journaling on how does this habit 
either undermine my ability to express these values in my life. It undermines my ability to fulfill my role as a parent. And or on the other hand, and we have to do both, you know, how is it harming this? And on the positive side, if you this does become a habit, what does that mean for you as a friend? Are you going to be a better friend? Are you going to have more freedom in your life? You know, whatever those is, but connected deeply to who you are and what you want out of life. I love that. I think we don't often make those connections. We don't often really think about what our values are. I mean, I think we think of obvious things like, oh, I value honesty. But I've actually gone through like value assessments where you have to, and maybe you've done this too, where you have to, I think when I last did, I was given a list of like 47 values and you had to bring it down to like your top five. It's really, really hard. But when you do it, you get really clear on like, these are the things that are actually most important to you. Mm-hmm. And then when you compare that with your roles in your life, that makes a lot of sense that you would be able to start, you would have a better platform from which to build new habits and new routines because you have a better sense of clarity around why you're doing what you're doing, which is pretty powerful. Yeah, it really taps into our deeper motivation. And shallow motivation is just not enough. (laughs) It just isn't. So, all right. So then we have steps two, three, and four. And to go through steps two, three, and four, I have to share a little something else about the anatomy of habit. So when we typically think of a habit, we just see the action itself. The brushing of the teeth, the drinking of the cup of coffee, the checking the email while I'm in the car, like driving, right? Those are the actions. But a habit is actually has three parts. There's a trigger, the action, and the reward. In other words, something has caused you to behave in a certain way in order to get a particular benefit. Your morning cup of coffee is triggered by walking into the kitchen in the morning and your reward is a rush of caffeine, right? Right. Okay, so now we're going to hack into that anatomy. I like to start with the most identifiable part of it, the action, because this is what we're all thinking about when we think of a habit. And the vast majority of New Year's resolutions will fail right here before they even get started, because these action steps, and I'm sure you've had this experience, these action steps are not successfully framed. So I have three parts of a successful action step. So first, it has to be simple, right? In the beginning, if you can remove as many parts as possible, make as few decisions as possible, just make it super, super easy. And you can get more complicated as you start to deepen this neural pathway. But in the beginning, just simple, right? When I was learning how to exercise, I just exercised in my pajamas because it was too complicated for me to like, oh, I got to put on clothes. and All right. So if it was stopping me, I just exercised in my pajamas and I could do that. And now I get, now I put on workout clothes. But in the beginning, there was too much for me. Yeah, it was. So then the second part of a successful action is that it has to be specific, right? Get healthy, not specific, could mean anything. If something could mean anything, it means nothing's going to (laughs) happen. I've only seen that a few times at the gym. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So specific action at the gym might be, okay, I'm going to spend 15 minutes on the elliptical machine Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to spend 15 minutes on this specific weight machine, right? Again, you can get more complicated later, Right. But in the beginning, know exactly what you're going to do. Remove the decision-making process out of it. And then the third thing is that your action step has to be attainable, right? It has to be something that you can actually do. And so you might need to think about it in steps. So, you know, if walking around the block is difficult for you, the first step is not to try and run a marathon. Right. Walk around the block twice, jog around the block, right? Just build it up steadily, but each time it's something that you can actually do. Does that make sense? Hey, mamas, just wanted to pop in and give you a little reminder. On Monday, I talked about my one-on-one coaching packages. I'm running my special deal for one-on-one coaching through the summer. If you buy any coaching packages with me in the summer, you get a special deal. I have packages of three sessions, three 30-minute coaching sessions with me. If you want to talk about transitions or transformations or accountability that you need, especially as you're approaching the transition into fall, that's what I want to talk to you about. So if you purchase the package in 
August. You can use it anytime after that. So you can use it well into the year, but if you purchase it in August, you get a special deal. So I have a little summer deal that I'm offering and I just wanted to make sure you were all well aware as we narrow down these last few days of August. I would love to help you with your transition into the new school year, into a new fall season. So if you need some support, some accountability and some support and guidance, make sure you go ahead and email me at info at shamelessmom.com and do it today because again, these pricing structures, everything's changing in September. So you want to make sure you get in on it before the end of the month. So hop over to info at shamelessmom.com and I'll connect with you there. All right, back to the show. Totally, totally. Yeah. This is funny because I've been talking a lot with my Shameless Mom Mastermind and with a group of uh, gym members about these things. And we've been talking a lot about specificity and measurable and attainable because a lot of people come in and they're like, I want to lose weight. (laughs) That's my goal. (laughs) I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) That's not an appropriate goal. That's great if that's what you want to have happen. But like, we need to talk a little bit more about action steps where you can actually feel like you're making progress because otherwise the motivation will quickly wane when you're just like, well, I just want to lose weight and that's not really happening or it's not happening on the time frame I want or in the quantity that I want or whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, I love this. And I want to share with you one of my favorite strategies here. You might find this useful in the gym. It's the minimum requirement strategy. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of the minimum requirement strategy is to make it so easy, so easy that you can't not do it because repetition is the mother of habit. It's not the intensity. It's not the duration. It is the act of doing it. So the most important thing is that you actually do it. So what is the simplest, easiest thing that you will actually do? So what if it was just one minute of exercise? Because is there any excuse for not doing one minute of exercise? No, everybody can do one minute of exercise every day with no excuses. So on those days where you wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I'm too depressed, I don't want to. On those days, you say, you know what, that's fine. You only have to do one minute. Mm. Just that one minute, it keeps that neural pathway under construction. I have a question on this because this is something I've been really playing with my own habits and something I've been recommending to other people. What do you think about the difference between someone saying like, I'm going to exercise three days a work for three days a week for an hour versus I'm going to exercise every day for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, something that at the end of the week, not the same amount of time, but you're doing the habit every day to like to establish the habit versus three days a week where it's not every day. And I think it's going to take longer to have it be something that becomes unconscious. Do you have research or thoughts on that? I do have thoughts on that. And I agree with you because anytime you have to make a decision, right? So it's Wednesday and you're like, oh, I don't want to exercise today. Well, I, I can do Thursday and Friday, right? See, this right? Is exactly. We start to negotiate. Right. So if you do it every day, there's no decision to be made. Right. So it is easier to create a habit if you do it every day or every weekday. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I've been telling people. I've kind of moved away from like a lot of the health organizations, their recommendation is like three days a week and for X amount of time. I totally think though, for the sake of building a habit that's going to have like a lot of longevity to it, I really think that it needs to be a non-negotiable and a daily thing. And again, you can change that up as that habit gets strong. You know, so once you're like exercising, because here's what happens when you create a habit. There's a few things that happen. One is that the size of your willpower tank actually grows, right? So you have more willpower to grow on. The second thing that happens is that you start to create an identity. I exercise. This is part of who I am. Yes, right? Totally. So now as you have this identity, a healthy person, you can say, you know what? I exercise Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That is now who I am. But the exercising is not negotiable now. Right, right. We, we can start to move around the how, the what, the when. But now exercising is part of my identity. It's just something that I do. Right. And that's opposite. So a lot of the stuff that you see around, especially around fitness, it says like start off with two or three days a week and work your way up. And I've started saying like start off with like, five, six, seven days a week. And then you can back off because again, once you've created the pathway, you've made it unconscious, then you can safely back off to three or four days and you'll actually still do it. And Mm -hmm. I've always kind of thought of it as like, because by then you've established the value and the outcome so that you'll be motivated to continue doing it. But I hadn't thought about it in terms of like neurological pathways. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that really confirms it for me. (laughs) 
All right, so that's step two. Step three is we want to find a trigger. So if a habit is occurring unconsciously, well, how is it that you know it's time to do something? Well, the answer is, is that you've been triggered. Something in your environment has let you know that it's time to start a particular action. Now, the easiest place to see that is in your morning because the alarm clock is a trigger that says it's time to do something. And what that something is depends on what your habits are. So do you get right out of bed or do you press the snooze alarm, mm-hmm. right? Whatever it was you did today is probably what you usually do because that's your <laughs> habit. Right. And once you get out of bed, what do you do next? Do you go into the kitchen and make a cup of coffee? Do you brush your teeth, right? Your whole morning is a series of habits, each one triggering the next. So we want to anchor our new habit on an existing habit. I like that. That makes so much sense. Now, the times in our days in which our very habit strong is the morning, our lunch hours, our home from work, and before we go to bed. Those are the kind of the times in which are pretty much do the same things around about the same time. So as I was trying to figure out when did exercising work for me, because it is kind of an art as you have to observe, like what is the reality of my daily life? I tried to do it in the afternoon when I got home from work, but that didn't really work for me. So now I'm a morning exerciser, and I just know if I don't do it in the morning, for me it's not going to happen. Right. But your morning might be different. You might want to do it after work. I'm totally with you. It has to be first thing in the morning (laughs) or it doesn't happen. It becomes very negotiable if it doesn't happen first thing in the morning. I was thinking of other habits aside from exercise that we often, I'm thinking of like a vitamin routine or something that like, it can be very hard to start those things. But the idea of anchoring, it makes so much sense. I know that especially when my son was really little, I had to be on this like crazy supplement routine because of nursing and I could anchor early morning vitamins and supplements to like eating breakfast, having coffee, like I could just get them in. But then the midday one, like I could not. And I think it's the anchoring thing, like to think about getting up from my desk or leaving his bedroom from whatever we were doing at like 1030 a.m. I just could not happen. And I had never thought about that anchoring. And that makes so much sense. If you're like already in a block of habits that are well established that you've been doing for years to add one little thing in there is much easier than like having this one floating new thing that you have to be in charge of. Yeah. Because we don't need a reminder on our phone that says, hey, it's time to brush your teeth, right? right? (laughs) So these things are just happening. So with the vitamins, like put it in your coffee cup. If you want to create where you eat more fruit, then, you know, you have in your refrigerator, a bowl of apples. And when you open the door, You've eliminated the bad option. So you, when you open the refrigerator door, your choice is an apple. So the refrigerator is your trigger. So you're kind of looking at like, what is my life like? Where do I do? What do I do? When do I do it? And where is this new habit going to fit? What's going to be the trigger? This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless And then step four is we want to identify the reward because you get a reward for completing a habit, right? You do it for a reason. But unfortunately, the rewards of our new healthy habits, they're long term, right? We know that if we exercise that eventually I'm going to get more sleep, I want to have more energy, right? I'm going to have better sex. There's all these benefits that you get from exercising, but you're not going to get that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. for a long time. And we know that the willpower is not sufficient to get us over that hump. So what we want to do is partner our new action with a reward so that we can have chemicals go off on our brain, the endorphins, the dopamine. And then what happens is that you create a physical and emotional connection to this action. So when you don't do it, your brain and your body are like, gosh, something's missing. Something doesn't feel right here. Oh, would you go do this thing here so I can get my reward? So now your body and your mind are a partner in your habit creation. Instead of it having to just be like your, oh, my brain and I'm using my willpower. I'm just forcing myself to do it. You can get your body to work with you on that. So the goal for a reward is you want it to be cheap, You want it to be easy, healthy. You want it to happen as close to the end of the action as possible. And I want to make a very special note here. Avoid big end-of-the-line rewards. Oh, interesting. I get an iPad if I exercise (laughs) for a month. If I lose weight, I get to go shopping. The problem with this is twofold. One, it is not creating that physical, emotional bond with this new action. The other problem is, is that it sets up a psychological endpoint, right? When I get this, I'm done, right? I've reached my goal. And that's why people will train to run a marathon and you talk to them six months later and they say, oh, you know, I haven't run since. Yep. Yep. (laughs) You've seen that happen, right? Yep. Yep. Avoid those end-of-the-line rewards. What we're looking for is cheap, easy, healthy, as close to the end of the action as possible. Now, there are three different types of rewards. There are physical rewards. Physical rewards are where you're either engaging your body with physical activity, and by this, I do not mean exercise. Exercise is work. So (laughs) I want you to do something that feels good for your body. So if you have like a special little victory move or a little dance you like to do, you can pump your fist in the air, you can jump, whatever. If you have a pom-pom you like to shake, Mm -hmm. but you're moving your body in a fun, enjoyable way, or it's causing a physical reaction in your body. Coffee, teas, smoothies, 
breakfast. So uh, if you get a smoothie after you finish your workout, because for better or worse, food is always a reward, right? Anytime we're putting something into our body, it's causing a reaction. But it doesn't have to be food or ingestible. It could be a hot shower. It could be a special pampering ritual like putting lotion on. It could be something as simple as brushing your teeth. You know, brushing your teeth actually did not take off in this country until they added that nice minty flavor to toothpaste. (laughs) Up until then, they were marketing it as, you know, have clean teeth, get rid of gum disease. And that was not enough. (laughs) That was not enough. But then they added the minty fresh thing that caused a reaction that felt good. And now when you don't brush your teeth, one of the things you're missing is that clean, tingly feeling. So interesting. Yeah. So can you find a physical reward for this new action or can it be an emotional reward? So some people really like to check things off of lists like that's really rewarding and motivating to them. So if you're that sort of person, take a checklist, right? You could listen to a great song. You could write a gratitude list. You could spend a few moments reading a book. If you have weekend habits that you're trying to establish, maybe you get to take a nap afterwards or watch a TV show afterwards. Maybe it means putting a deposit into a small deposit into a vacation fund. So, you know, you could get one of those big clear jars and at the end of your action, you drop some coins in there and you hear the sound and you see the money getting higher. So that could be a reward. Something like that might work. And then there are social rewards. There's a reason that millions and millions of people log into Facebook every day. Right? <laughs> We're we all want to brag. <laughs> And we want that social interaction, right? We want to see what our friends are doing and we want to have them like our post, right? So if you do your action, maybe you get to spend 15 minutes on Facebook. Would that work for you? Or you want to call a friend or you want to use your Fitbit to check in on other people's Facebook posts or with other people's workouts. So can you use a social rewards there? And now if you can overlap your rewards, the stronger it's going to become. So if you choose, like, I'm just going to check it off on my list, or maybe you have a calendar that you're marking out and for each day you do it, you put an X and you start to see this nice long string of X's up there. So if you're going to do something like that, and just don't just walk over there and check it off like it's no big deal. Walk over there using your body with powerful language with your shoulders back and your chest out and check it off that calendar like, damn, you're awesome and pump your fist in the air and then go on Facebook and say, I did my thing today, right? Just overlapping them will make them even stronger. That's so interesting. At my gym, we have this big, huge chart we put up at the beginning of every year, and it correlates with the year. So this year, it's 217 in 2017. Last year, it was 216 in 2016. But it's tracking your workouts for the whole year, and the goal is to get 217 workouts in the year 2017. And you can opt to do it or not. But the people who track this on this little sticker chart that spans like a huge wall in our gym they totally like dance over and it's like it's why they come to class so that they can dance across the room after class and put up their sticker it's a huge (laughs) it's amazing how simple a reward can be and still be really really impactful (laughs) yeah yeah it doesn't have to be tough yeah yeah absolutely And then that brings us to step five is to plan for success because we know (laughs) things are going to come up, right? So let's plan for that. So there are three different areas where you want to plan for success. And the first is logistical. What do you need? Where do you need it to make it as easy as possible? What friction can you eliminate? What decisions can you reduce, right? So like I said, I used to have my socks and my sneakers next to the bed. I would work out in what I slept in. I had my music on my phone ready to go, and I knew exactly what exercises I was going to do. So plan logistically. What do you need? Where do you need it? But secondly, you're going to face some external obstacles. External obstacles are things that we don't have a lot of control over traveling for work, 
a family member who gets sick, a car that breaks down, right? These are all things that are going to throw us off our habit creation plan. So what ones can you anticipate right now? What are the things that typically come up? Is it your work schedule? Is it your kids activity calendar? What is it? And what is your plan for overcoming that? How are you going to do your habit anyways, if these things happen? So that's the second thing. And then third, though, is we have to plan for internal challenges because sometimes we are our own worst enemy, right? Definitely. (laughs) Most of the time, I think. Yes, it happens a lot. So there's two questions really that I like to ask myself that will help me get clear on what my internal challenges are. So the first is, what do I want to have happen if I do this, but I'm afraid isn't going to happen. Mm. So for example, I want to exercise because I want to lose weight, but I'm also afraid that, you know, some people have had experience in their past that have told them that if they receive attention, it could end up in physical harm, right? So they're afraid that if they lose the weight, that they're going to get attention and that could lead to physical harm. Well, that is an internal conflict. And if you don't know that's there, you could constantly sabotage yourself. And then the second question I like to ask is, what do I want to have happen, but I'm afraid isn't going to happen, right? So if I lose weight, I'm hoping that I will finally meet the right person. But if that doesn't happen, well, then maybe it's not the weight at all. Maybe I'm unlovable. And of course, that's not true, right? But that's the fear. Fear doesn't have to be true for us to, to feel exist. it. Yeah. yeah. And again, if you don't know that fear is there, you're going to subconsciously sabotage yourself so you don't have to deal with the pain of that disappointment. So really getting clear, you know, what are your internal challenges? What are the excuses that you're going to give yourself about why you're not going to do it? And then planning on how you're going to overcome those. I love it. I feel that was like so complete. (laughs) We all know how to do it so much better now (laughs) to create habits. So talk to us a little bit about, well, tell us about your book. And I'm guessing that your story about Thanksgiving dinner is part of the inspiration. So tell us a little bit about the book and how it was inspired and also how your work with habits and tie into it. Yeah, so my book is 365 Ways to Live Generously, Simple Habits for a Life That's Good for You and for Others. And so I was blogging about generosity and I kept thinking about like, I really want to help people because my belief is, is that people know what they need to do, right? But they don't do it. And then I read the Charles Duhigg book about habits and I thought, well, what people need is the experience of just doing it over and over again and it'll just naturally become a habit and it won't be hard and it won't be work. So those 365 ways to live generously is a daily book um, and it's centered around seven generosity habits. They're physical health, mindfulness, relationships, connecting with yourself, gratitude, simplicity, and philanthropy. Each habit appears once a week. So throughout the course of the year, you get to practice each habit 52 times and really just make that a natural part of your daily life. Oh, so cool. And you could break it down to like one habit a day if there's seven. Well, yeah. So it's one habit a day. One habit a day. Day one is physical health. Day two is mindfulness. Day three is relationships. So you're just kind of rotating and there's a small little action step to take each day. And just, you know, each day is like 300 to 500 words. They're short, digestible, because we know what we need to do. We just need the constant practice of doing it. And then it becomes just part of who we are. It becomes a habit. It's, and in that way, kind of our best life isn't something that we're forcing to happen. We're not using our willpower. It's just an expression of who we are. Right. And it I think, just unfolds. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that habits have to become a part of our identity. And so they're as automatic and as unconscious as your middle name. And that's the what I talked about when I talked to people about implementing exercise and habits like that or not having dessert every night or whatever, where it's just, it becomes part of your identity so that you really embrace whatever that habit is or whatever that routine is. And it becomes a really powerful part of your life that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Very cool. So I'm so excited about your book. I love the way that you broke it down. I love that it's bite size. It's by the day and it's not. So you're prompted every day, which means that there's not decisions around what you actually have to do. You're guiding people. And then it's also not going to be super time consuming, which is fantastic, which is great for moms. (laughs) (laughs) Little bite sized nuggets per day. Yep. Do you have any other tips for moms for incorporating new habits into their routine or how to start any kind of last words on that before we move on? Well, you know, one question that I get asked a lot is, well, how long does it take to create a habit? Oh yeah. Talk about that. Well, have you heard 14 days or 21 days? I've heard 16 to 21 times that you have to do the new thing. Uh But my thought is that if you're putting a new habit in place of an old habit and the old habit has been done like, you know, thousands of times, like for example, you eat ice cream every night. If you've eaten ice cream every night after dinner for, you know, seven years, it's going to take more than 16 times for the new habit to take over the old habit. So I think it depends on the circumstances, but I want to know what you say. Okay. Well, let me also just make a quick distinction in the example that you gave there. Okay. Breaking a habit is a totally different thing than creating a habit. When you're okay. breaking an existing habit, what you're trying to do is stop using an existing neural pathway. Okay. Whereas you're creating a new habit is you're creating this neural pathway that didn't exist before. And so when you stop eating ice cream after dinner every night, the weeds are going to grow up on that path, right? But the path is always still there. So they can be re-triggered. This is why people start smoking again. They start drinking again, right? Those neural pathways are re-triggered. Okay. But when it comes to creating a new habit, there was a study done in the University of College London, and they followed people in creating a habit of their choosing, and they found that it took anywhere from 18 days to 270 days. (laughs) That sounds more (laughs) reasonable to me. I've always been very skeptical of the research that says 16 to 21 times. (laughs) Yes, I know. Well, that number was actually made up. And people just been repeating it as fact. There are actually not a lot of studies following oh, how long this. Oh, oh I totally yeah, thought it was research based. Nope. Somebody wrote it in a book in like 1960 and they've just been repeating it as fact ever since. So we don't have a lot of studies on how long it takes to create a habit. But what we do know is that it really depends on you. It depends on the habit that you're trying to create, how hard it is, how much pleasure you get from it, your reason that you started it, how much support you get doing it. So certain habits are going to be easy. Like if you're just going to drink a glass of water in the morning, that's going to be a lot easier than lots of people find exercising, meditating, Forget about changing our eating habits, right? These are hard habits because we have so much emotional baggage that comes along with it. We have so many existing neural pathways that go along with it. So the truth is, is if a habit is worth creating, it's worth doing it as long as it takes until it becomes a habit. And that could be, you know, 21 days, but it could take you. And it took me a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say it probably took me nearly a year to really feel like exercising was just a natural part of who I am and what I do. Yeah. Interesting. Tell us how you live shamelessly. You know, I think it's just now that I'm 40 years old, it's just being more and more comfortable with who I am and not apologizing. (laughs) Yes, not apologizing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm not interested in that or I am interested in this, right? Just knowing like who I am is okay. That's, you know, and I don't feel like I have to apologize for it anymore. I love that. So I want to do our shameless mommy minute and lightning round in just a second here. But first, I want you to tell everyone where we can find you and where we can find your book. So you can find my book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's 365 ways to live generously. You can find me at SharonLipinski.com, but my last names can be hard for people to spell. So you can also go to bestlifehabits.com. And on those websites, I have a toolbox that will walk you through the five steps of creating a habit. Okay. And I will have all of those links that you just mentioned, the two websites, a link to the book on Amazon, all up on our show notes. And additionally, I will also have your Facebook page over there if people want to follow you on social media. And so if people go to shamelessmom.com and click on episode 156, they can find all of that right there in one little place. All right. Are you ready for a lightning round? I'm ready. (laughs) What's your favorite way to treat yourself? Doing nothing. Just (laughs) sitting on my porch 
Love I have to put my phone away, put my phone away, sit on my porch and just look at the mountains. Nice, nice. Current book that you're reading or the last one that you read? Well, the last fiction book I read that I really enjoyed and recommend is A Darker Shade of Magic. Just oh. kind of a uh, adventure book about a person who has a coat, a magic coat that takes them to different worlds. It's, it was a lot of fun. Oh, wow. What is one morning ritual you can't live without? I have to exercise. Who is your biggest inspiration? Oprah Winfrey. Nice. If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? Well, gosh, moms have so many superpowers. <laughs> I love <laughs> that you is. said that because I don't think anyone else has ever said that in, when, when I've asked this question. And it's so true. <laughs> yes. So I would say the superhero power of simplicity, right? It's my nice. sixth habit. And it's just what I tell people simplicity is it's not about not spending money. It's not about not doing things. It's really about directing your resources, whether that's time, energy, money, space, just directing it to what serves you, yeah. what interests you, what helps you meet your goals and letting go of everything else, letting go of the expenses, the expectations, the activities that aren't really creating the life that you want to live. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sharon. This has been really, really fascinating and so helpful. And I feel like a lot of our listeners are going to be really inspired to implement some new, simple simple habits that they'll really be able to sustain for longer periods of time than maybe they have in the past, just given some of the really nice framework you've laid out for us. So thank you for the work that you're doing and the inspiration you're putting out into the world. I really, really love it. And I hope everyone goes out and gets the book and works on their own 365 ways to live generously. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time with Sharon and me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I'm sure you learned something. I'm sure you're like ready to go build some super habits for yourself. I hope you're excited and feeling kind of passionate and fired up about heading into a new season with these new tools in your tool belt. If this is your first time listening to the Shameless Mom Academy, know that we do release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So you can subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. If you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, that will drop you into iTunes where you can click the subscribe button and you will get all new episodes immediately after they're released. While you're there, please do write a review. I do share reviews from time to time. So I'm always looking for the next amazing review with a great story or something funny or some feedback for me that I can share on an episode of the Shameless Mom Academy. So I look forward to getting your feedback. Do you hear my dog going crazy scratching in the background? <laughs> this is our like closeout theme music here, the dog's collar. <laughs> so I hope that you learned something today. I hope that you are looking forward to implementing new habits. And I hope that no matter what you do today, you do it shamelessly. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.